The David Rubenstein Podcast is sponsored by Wells Fargo. Nuveen is an asset manager striving to invest in the futures of Hispanic and Black Americans, and they're working to create products and services focused on generational investing for diverse communities around the country. At Wells Fargo, we're helping our clients forge what's next. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. As CEO of the Abu Dhabi-based Mudabala Investment Company, Khaldun al-Mubarak is part of a new effort by the UAE government to diversify its economy beyond oil. Born in Abu Dhabi as the son of the UAE ambassador to France, al-Mubarak was educated at Tufts, where he graduated with a degree in economics and finance. Now he's back in the UAE, overseeing a sovereign wealth fund with more than $250 billion in assets and a goal to find new investment opportunities in a lower oil world. Al-Mubarak recently sat down with Carlyle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. They spoke on David Rubenstein's Bloomberg television program, peer-to-peer conversations. Let's talk about something that you're very passionately interested in, which is football. You led a group uh, that bought a team in the Premier League in England called Manchester City, which just won the Premier League. It was a great journey. Uh, you know, football is a, is a passion of mine. I enjoy football. So doing that job was, uh, was an absolute joy. So 10 years ago, we started this journey. Um, Manchester City was a modest club back then uh, in terms of their standing within the Premier League. Um, they had revenues of about $80 million. Uh, Ten years on, we've pushed the revenue to almost $550 million. Uh, the group is uh, very successful financially, economically, but more importantly, when you're in the business of sports, you have to be successful on the pitch. And over the last seven years, um, because it took us three years to build uh, the capability and the, um, the club to be competitive, over the last seven years, Manchester City has been the most successful club in the Premier League. We've won the, the, the Premier League three times in those seven years. So uh, do you go into the locker room and give them kind of win one for the Gipper kind of speeches, or how do you uh, inspire the troops? No, I inspire the troops by making sure we have the right organization in place. I mean, that's what I think I'm good at, getting the right ecosystem to, uh, for success uh, on the pitch, getting the right players. That's really what wins in, in sports. Uh, it's that complete package. When they're practicing, do you ever go down on the field and say, let me kick a couple balls with you? <laughs> no, I don't do you that. You don't do that? In order not to embarrass myself. Okay. What other teams do you have around the world? So we started with Manchester, and then we came up with this idea of football is a global sport, and it's a sport that's growing everywhere. How about we create a brand? You know, our scouting system, our, our management systems, and use these synergies to be successful in multiple uh, jurisdictions. Never been done before. It was a thesis. We didn't know who was going to work or not. Uh, but over the last uh, 
you know, six to eight years, we've built a, a group called the City Football Group that owns uh, controlling stakes or uh, management stakes in clubs all around the world. And we're seeing the benefits of that by uh, essentially having a much better proposition for sponsors uh, who, you know, want access to uh, not just one market but a global market and want to have, want to have that local presence uh, through the football network that we have in these clubs. We're looking now at India, we're looking at China, uh, which is kind of a reflection of you know, everything else I'm doing. Uh, if you look at our, our portfolio in Mubadala, it follows a very similar path uh, as a global uh, platform, uh, our presences in all these markets, and, and, and that's how we've grown over the last uh, 15, 16 years. Let me just uh, ask you about the country that you're from. Mm -hmm. I should disclose that you and I have done investments together. You've invested in my firm, so we've, I've gotten to know you over quite a period of time. And um, I wanted to ask you about Abu Dhabi. So let me give you a quick history lesson. The UAE is a federation. United Arab Emirates. The United Arab Emirates is a federation of uh, seven emirates, seven states, uh, Abu Dhabi being uh, the largest, uh, Dubai being one of the most famous. Um, the federation was formed in 1971. Uh, the father of the nation uh, is uh, His Highness Sheikh Zayed. Uh, he passed away uh, several years ago, but he was the father. He established the federation. Uh, we have a population of about 10 million overall. Uh, we have a, um, a wealth of uh, resources, uh, particularly in the oil and gas uh, field. That's been the foundation of the economic development. The oil and the gas is not going to be here for the next thousand years. Uh, it's finite, and we have to prepare ourselves for the future. The leadership of this country has focused on maximizing the benefits and the returns from this resource, but at the same time build a uh, diversification strategy uh, preparing ourselves for the future. And that's what you have in the, in the UAE today. Your economy now is dependent on oil. Is it 50% of your economy, 70%, 80%? So many years ago, oil represented about uh, 70 to 80% of the GDP of the country we've been able to move the economy where that concentration is now less than 35%. Now we're still a long way away, and I think the focus now is to continue to push that number down as much as possible. Why do you think Dubai, which is not as wealthy as Abu Dhabi, is better known in some parts of the world? We have a radius around us of countries like India, countries like Egypt, uh, countries with, uh, with an immense history, and we're new into this market, and we don't have a Taj Mahal, and we don't have uh, the pyramids. But we've, what we've been able to do, and Dubai particularly has been able to do, was build a, a tourism infrastructure in terms of hotels, uh, shopping, uh, restaurants, entertainment, uh, taking advantage of what we have, which is the sea uh, and uh, the desert. Uh, and by doing so, we've been able to build a, um, an influx of, of tourists that supersedes Egypt and India combined. Well, let's talk about how you got to where you are. Uh, you grew up in Abu Dhabi, is that right? Yes. Now, you're not a member of the royal family, is no, that right? No. Now, to be a member of the royal family, that means you're part of the family that helped to found the country. Correct. And the royal family now in Abu Dhabi has hundreds of members? Yeah, or a couple hundreds of members. Okay. So, you're not a member of the royal family. My grandfather was essentially the, the first chief justice uh, in the UAE when the federation was established. And, uh, and my father was an ambassador. So I come from a, you know, a family that you know, has justice, has diplomacy, uh, and I was, uh, you know, after my father passed away, I was brought up by my grandfather, so at a, at a young age. And your father passed away because of something that was tragic. Yes, he was assassinated in, in France while he, while, he was while, he was while he was posted in France. And how old were you? I was uh, six years old. 
So uh, you are now living in Abu Dhabi when this occurs. You later go to college in the United States yeah. at Tufts? In Medford. And uh, how did you happen to pick Tufts? First of all, I didn't even know where Tufts was. I had never been to, to Boston. Uh, I think I had been to the United States once. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, the summer I graduated, I went West Coast. And that was the first time I actually go to the West Coast. It's only then that I realized that I was deeply tricked by my friends and colleagues who convinced me to go to Boston. I love Boston, but the weather. You know, from, from a kid coming out of Abu Dhabi, where temperatures in the summer are north of 100 degrees, to go end up in Boston, that was a tough, tough <laughs> tra transition for me. And I didn't know California. And when I went to California after I graduated, I'm like, darn. I should have started in California. When you got to uh, Tufts, did people say, where is Abu Dhabi, your student uh, friends? So I dealt with two things. Number one, nobody had any idea about Abu Dhabi, uh, the UAE. Second is the pronunciation of my name. I have a very difficult name. It's Khaldun. And Kha is, is uh, the pronunciation of this letter uh, in English is, uh, is challenged by most uh, of my you know, friends in the United States. So I struggled with my name because people couldn't pronounce Kha, so I became known not as Khaldun, which is my name, but Khaldun. Khaldun is my, let's say, my American name. So Khaldun, but you actually pronounce it? Khaldun. Khaldun. <laughs> you can do that in Yiddish, but not so much in <laughs> yeah. Arabic, maybe. Yes, I found that also right. like, with my Yiddish okay. friends. <laughs> you come back after college, and you looking for a job, and what did you do right after college? Back then, you come out of college, you go back to uh, Abu Dhabi, and uh, you're a, you know, a U.S. graduate, and you're gonna have really essentially two options. Either you're gonna work in oil and gas, or you're gonna work in the investment field. So I interviewed with both. I had an offer from both, um, and I decided to, uh, to start at the National Oil Company. Okay. Um, I worked there for, uh, for a couple of years, and uh, spent a lot of time uh, in Abu Dhabi, but also spent a lot of time in Japan. Uh, our, not many people know that, but Abu Dhabi is one of the largest producers uh, of uh, crude oil in the world, and our largest market is Japan. That was very, very interesting for me, and I learned a lot from that experience. From there on, uh, I moved into the investment world. Uh, I started at a pipeline project, was the first uh, um, gas project that connects three countries in the, in the Middle East, uh, and it needed a, a company to own it, so the government established a company, and that company was Mubadla. So Mubadla started with that project and evolved over the okay. last uh, 20 years to what it is today. So you were asked to, to run Mubadla, and Mubadla today has assets of about $220 billion. Correct. $220 billion. So you have grown it from a relatively modest company. Over the last three years, we've been you know, evolving and expanding in, in different directions. And maybe four years ago, I've told you less than 2% of our portfolio was in China, India, and South America. We, we had no presence in, the, in, in these countries, uh, no exposure. Over the last three years, we've been actively investing and, uh, and, uh, and present in China, actively investing and present in, uh, in India, actively present, present and investing in South America. Uh, we've been opening offices uh, around many places around the world uh, where our operations have, have reached scale. Mubadala is owned by the government of Abu Dhabi? Correct. So who do you report to? So I have a board of directors. The board of directors uh, is chaired uh, by His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, 
the Crown Prince uh, of Abu Dhabi. Uh, so we have a, a strong board, a very present board. The board meets uh, on, an, on a monthly basis. Now, Sheikh Mohammed is the Crown Prince, but day to day he's in charge of running the operations of the government of Abu Dhabi. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. And it's fair to say you're very close to him? I've worked with him now for almost, uh, almost uh, 17 years. So I guess you are pretty close. Uh, so when he comes to, let's say, the United States and he meets with the President of the United States, uh, does he ask you to go with him sometimes? Yes. So have you met with President Trump? So I've had the, the pleasure and honor to meet uh, with President Clinton, President Bush, uh, President Obama, and now President Trump. So you do this in other parts of the world as well? You go yes. meet prime ministers when the Sheikh Bahama goes? Yes. So how much of your time is running day-to-day -day the Mubadala operation, and how much is dealing with government-related issues? So the best thing about my job, David, is I don't, actually don't, I don't do anything. I have an organization that uh, I, one of the things I've tried to do throughout my career is always surround myself by uh, talented, capable individuals. Uh, I've been lucky. I've hired well. Uh, I've built a very strong team in Mubadala. I have four uh, top-notch CEOs uh, that report to me that essentially do everything. My ethos professionally has always been always try to hire the best, always try to make sure that you have uh, a strong uh, stable of, uh, of talent uh, around you, and that allows me to do so many things. Now, I have um, a significant commitment in my time working, obviously, for His Highness, um, so I spend a lot of time uh, supporting His Highness and, uh, and traveling with him many places around the world. Our sponsor, Wells Fargo, recently spoke to Jose Manaya, CEO of Naveen, about how his company is serving the retirement needs of diverse communities. My parents emigrated here from the Dominican Republic. I grew up in Washington Heights in Inwood. My dad was a cook. My mother was a housekeeper at a hotel. They came here with a dream of having a better life for their kids. They barely had a bank account. The concept of a 401k was not there. We are in a retirement crisis in this country. We have an opportunity to help the Hispanic and African-American communities retire with dignity. If you just looked at the U.S. Latinos, they'd be the fifth largest GDP in the world. Nuveen is an asset manager. Our business is about trust. When I think about generational investing, I think about stability and lower volatility. So we think about the long term. What's interesting about our relationship with Wells Fargo is we share similar goals. At Wells Fargo, we're helping our clients forge what's next. Uh, would you ever go into the government full-time or are you happy where you are? Uh, you know his highness well. You've met him on many, many occasions. He's a person that that I think working for him is, uh, is not a job. Uh, uh, it's beyond that. It's beyond that. You, 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 you know, I, uh, what I, if he asked me to do, to, to do anything, I, I would do it. So uh, I'm loyal to, uh, to my country. I'm loyal to my government. But above all, uh, I think just working with someone like, uh, like Sheikh Mohammed, uh, I think, is, is, uh, is an absolute joy, and I would do anything for him. And one of the things that the country has decided to do is to not make it a tourist center necessarily, but bring more things into the country. Uh, one is you have a Cleveland clinic yes. that you've opened that Mubadala has been involved with. Why did you decide to have a Cleveland clinic in Abu Dhabi? So it's a, it's a funny story. Um, about, yeah, about 10 years ago, I was, um, I was with His Highness, uh, with Sheikh Mohammed, and uh, it, it, was, it was the month of Ramadan. And we had, he was visiting uh, a family, and um, he had uh, the breaking of the fast at this family's house. And one of the members of that family had just come back from uh, being treated in Cleveland for, uh, for a long time. And they had just come back. 
Cut a long story short, after the, uh, after the meal, uh, Sheikh Mohammed likes to take a walk always, and, and, and many of our meetings are actually over long walks, uh, which is you know, a challenge when, when you have to carry documents, and, and, and particularly with our weather, when it's very hot some days, it's, uh, believe me, one of the hard parts of my job. So anyways, um, we took a walk, and Sheikh Mohammed turned to me, it was night, it was maybe 10 o'clock at night by, at that point, and he said, this gentleman just spent six months in Cleveland. We're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. We have a small population. We've invested well in terms of infrastructure. Why don't we have a hospital of the quality of Cleveland Clinic here in the UAE? It's not acceptable. My people deserve uh, this quality health care, and, um, and I, I, you know, I want you to handle this project. Why don't you go figure out how you, can be, how you can build a Cleveland Clinic Hospital here in Abu Dhabi. So you have that now. And that's what we did. He said to me, listen, Khaldun, you know, I don't want any bureaucracy on this. You're going to report directly to me on this project. And I want it done now, and I want it done, it, it done immediately. Um, and it took, me, um, it, took us, it took us as an organization, it took us about seven years to go convince Cleveland Clinic of the logic of this, convince them that we would actually commit to the, um, to the quality of, the care, of care and to the, uh, to the management that this requires to deliver exactly what you have in Cleveland and Abu Dhabi. It took us seven years to build a state-of-the-art hospital, which we have today. Uh, and, and that vision that he had, that dream he had, uh, I think has been achieved. Let me ask about another thing. Uh, you have opened up a museum yes. that is the Louvre. How is that working out? Well, first of all, I want to double check. Last time you came to my office and we met, you made a commitment that you were going to go visit it. Did you do it? I absolutely did, and I was astounded to see some of the works of art there. Mm. Here I am, an American, mm. and I go to Abu Dhabi, and I see Whistler's mother. <laughs> so a great American uh, painted this, and actually uh, it was in the Louvre. It's part of their collection. And now some people say that the most expensive work of art ever purchased is in that museum. Yes, it will be in that museum soon. Okay. This uh, is a Da Vinci. This is a Da Vinci. Yeah. That was purchased uh, a few months ago, I guess, for about yeah. roughly 450 to 500 million dollars. I believe so. So that should be a pretty good attraction. You know, it's a it's a young country. It's a young nation. We didn't have a museum of this uh, of this magnitude in the UAE, and I think this this museum represents many things. Yes, it's uh, it's beautiful. Yes, I think the the art collection is, is is remarkable, but I think there's a bigger story in this. We are trying to push out of the UAE a message of tolerance. Uh, if you go to that museum, you will see that there is a curation. There's one particular galley that, that is, for me, incredible, in, in which you see uh, the world religions really in one gallery, uh, and you see them next to each other. So there's, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a Torah uh, next to a Bible, uh, next to a Quran uh, from the same period. Uh, and you see multiple iteration of, uh, of different periods where you see the, the three books next to each other. Phenomenal. Now, you can see that in a museum in, uh, in, in Germany or in, or in the UK or here in the United States, but for a museum in the UAE to have that, I think for people that, are, that don't know the Middle East, uh, I mean, that's a massive step. Uh, a massive step and a, mass, a massive message that you will understand, David, and many people that know them at least will understand the significance of that. Now, another thing that you've done is bring the Formula One races. 
Now, you built an elaborate Formula One course, and I've been to the races. Is that working out? It's working out great. I mean, the UAE, when, when we say we need to attract, you know, we've gone from a, from a country that was attracting a million tourists a year to now over 20 million tourists per year of a country that has a population of less than 10 million. So over the years, we've invested heavily in sporting activities and, and museums and hotels, et cetera, and that's made the UAE uh, such an attractive place for tourism. But you know what's more important than all this? Safety and security. In the neighborhood we're in, in the, uh, in the region we're in, to have a country like the UAE attract that sort of number of tourists, it can only be done by having a country that's safe and that's secure and that people feel uh, both safe and secure. In terms of the Middle East, uh, Sheikh Mohammed is very close to uh, Sheikh uh, Mohammed uh, bin Salman, who is the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. How did they develop this close relationship? You know, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, His Highness uh, Mohammed bin Salman, is another incredible leader. I mean, what he's doing and what you're seeing in Saudi Arabia right now is transformational. They share a view uh, of the future, they share a vision of the future, a better place, uh, not just for their people, but for, but for the region. And I think it's all these factors that make, uh, again, these two very special leaders uh, very close together. President Trump has pulled out of the Iranian nuclear agreement. Did you support the agreement? You know, David, it's not a big secret that we in the UAE have always had reservations uh, over that, uh, that agreement from the beginning. We live in our uh, region, we live in our neighborhood. Uh, we've been dealing with, um, with Iran and the, uh, the, the, the challenges that Iran uh, puts uh, on the region and the stability and security of the region. It's always been our position, a concern uh, over the, uh, uh, what that agreement uh, was able to achieve in terms of uh, preventing Iran from uh, building a, a military nuclear capability. Now recently, Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE, among others, have had a dispute with Qatar. Uh, do you see any resolution? And what is the basis of that dispute? The basis of, the, of, of this dispute is we live in a, in a very challenging region. Uh, national security has been at the forefront of, uh, of, of challenges that all countries in our region face. And the GCC is a, is a bloc uh, that has always tried to maintain at least a vision of how uh, we see the future and the stability and security of that region. There has been a fundamental shift uh, or disagreement in terms of how we see uh, the future uh, of this region and the direction that, uh, that Qatar has, uh, has decided to go uh, through uh, with its decisions in terms of uh, both its politics, uh, who it's decided to support, uh, how it's um, really, in our view, not done uh, what we uh, had hoped it would do uh, with regards to combating terrorism, combating the financing of terrorism, uh, and really sharing the vision that we have of what we feel all of us should have uh, for the stability of our region. That's really at the heart of this dispute. Um, these issues are, are quite deep. But these issues obviously are, um, have been going on now for months. Uh, I hope that ultimately this, uh, this matter gets resolved and, and I hope at the end of the day we're all, uh, we're all one family. Uh, you know, uh, Qataris, Emiratis, Saudis, uh, Bahrainis, Egyptians, Kuwaitis, we are all one people. Some of the rhetoric coming out of the U.S. government, has that been of concern to people in the Middle East about Muslims, or do you think it's political rhetoric and not something you worry about as much? 
No, I don't worry about that. No, we don't worry about that. I think we, we have such strong links with the United States, and we have such strong links with uh, the people here in the United States, with, uh, with the government, with the business community, with the academic community, the think tanks, across all facets of U.S. society. So I think these links uh, are deep. You know, we have to be able to distinguish between rhetoric and, and, and reality, and, and, and that reality on the ground is what we feel. You know, I'm in Washington, D.C. today. I'm, 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 I'm meeting with politicians. I'm meeting with businessmen. I'm meeting with, uh, you know, uh, people from all facets, and, and no, I do not feel it, and I, I, it doesn't worry me. The final question I'd like to ask mm -hmm. you about is, uh, is there anything that you'd rather be doing than you're doing now? I love what I do. Uh, I enjoy it uh, both uh, per professionally and personally. But if there's one thing that I'd like to do more than what I'm doing right now is spend more time with my family. And you have two children? I have three kids. So I have a lovely wife and three children that, unfortunately, because of all what I'm doing, I don't spend enough time with. And that's, that's, that's my one regret. Okay, well, at least maybe they'll be able to watch this interview and they can see you at some point on TV. <laughs> maybe they'll give me some credit, huh? <laughs> right, maybe so. Well, thank you very much for thank taking you, the time to do this. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.